podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL roundtable feed. So just search EPL roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now on with the show. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Friday the 12th of May. Hope you're all set up for a nice weekend. The sun is shining, folks, which is a nice change. Last night in the Europa League, Roma beat Leverkusen 1-0 to give Jose Mourinho a very pleasant start to his weekend. It wasn't the best of games, but... Roma did win through a Bove goal. Eduardo Bove scored on 63 minutes to give the home side the win and a 1-0 advantage heading into next Thursday's second leg, which obviously will be played in Leverkusen. Leverkusen did have more of the ball, 
but they struggled to create any real clear-cut chances. Florian Wirtz managed to work his way through the Roma defence on a couple of occasions, but just couldn't find a finish. It felt like what was missing from that Leverkusen team last night was an out-and-out number nine. And it would have been really interesting to see how it would have looked with either Sardar Ausman starting or Patrick Schick, who's obviously out at the moment. But if either of them had, had played, I do think they would have caused Roma some problems. But Roma would be comfortable going to the second leg with a 1-0 lead. Obviously, Mourinho is a bit of a master when it comes to European football. So look forward to that one. Uh, in the other game, Juventus took on Sevilla and the game ended 1-1. Yusuf N. Naziri put Sevilla one up on 26 minutes after good work by Lucas Ocampos. Federico Gatti scored on 97 minutes to rescue the draw for Juve. It was a fairly uninspiring game overall. Juve probably on balance of play deserved to get something from the game. So it sets the second leg up nicely. And that's that's ultimately the most important thing is that we get good second legs. And both of these should turn out to be good games a week from now. Uh, in the Conference League, Fiorentina won Basel 2. Fiorentina, quite disappointing in this game. They had most of the ball. They had loads of shots. But Basel had the better chances in the game and looked capable of cutting Fiorentina open whenever they wanted. Arthur Cabral scored on 25 minutes, put Fiorentina one up against his former team. But then on 71, Andy Diouf with an outstanding solo goal. And on 92, Ziki Amduni gave Basel a big win. Now, obviously, away goals are irrelevant. So... A 1-0 Fiorentina win in the second leg will send the game to extra time. I think it's well set up for the second leg, and I'm looking forward to that game. Andy Diouf is a player to keep an eye on. He's on loan at Basel from Rennes, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if there's a number of clubs who take interest in him this summer. Very versatile French under-21 international can play up front, can play in midfield, very powerful at breaking through the lines. That goal he scored last night was outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. Uh, In the other game then, again, it was a come-from-behind victory. West Ham United 2, AZ Alkmaar 1. Reinders put Alkmaar 1 up on 41 minutes amid much crying from West Ham over allegedly a push in the back. Didn't seem to be a whole lot in it. Uh, Saeed Benrama scored the equaliser from the penalty spot on 67 minutes. And I have to say, I I didn't think it was a penalty. I didn't think it was a penalty at all. The goalkeeper comes to the cross. It's headed over the bar. And yes, he makes contact with the player, but the player has already had his opportunity on goal. Uh, is the goalkeeper not allowed challenge for the ball in that sense? For me, not a penalty, but Ben Rama steps up. It's a great penalty. It's 1-1. And then on 75, quite a typical West Ham goal. They win a second ball in the box, which is a bit of a skirmish. And Michael Antonio puts it home 
Uh, West Ham will be happy with the win. I don't think they can be happy with the performance. They had more shots and more shots on target, but Alkmaar felt like they were the better team. Certainly until that second goal, that it kind of came against the run of play. Uh, that was an Alkmaar team missing multiple starters, including Milos Kirkus, who I had been looking forward to seeing last night, and he wasn't in the team. I don't pay attention to uh, at the area of Izzy as much, so I don't know if he's injured or or suspended or what the situation is, but I'm hopeful he'll be back for that second leg. Uh, no Danny DeWitt either, which also uh, a big blow for Alkmaar, but hopefully, again, he'll be back for the second leg. So that one's set up well for the second leg. I think West Ham would have liked a bigger advantage going to Alkmaar, but you know they'll have to take what they have and see how it works. Uh, there's a piece here on the BBC website that says that Jose Mourinho could potentially go to PSG this summer. Now, obviously, that has been rumoured multiple times. Uh, now, Guillaume Balaga, who, you know, is the original self-promoting bullshitter, has has talked about it. Uh, Julian Laurence, who is very, very good, and he's talked about, you know, the relationship between Mourinho and George Mendes. Mendes and the relationship with Luis Campos. But let's not forget, Campos and Mourinho have worked together before. So it is a possibility that Jose will be drawn to that relationship and will want to go and reconsider it. Um, I don't know. I don't know how true that will be. You know that will come to be. We'll we'll have to wait and see. Um, but I am interested. I am interested in what Mourinho does. He's got he's got a good friendship with Luis Campos. Obviously, the two of them having that relationship with George Mendes could lead to Mendes funneling a lot of his clients towards PSG, um, which would be very beneficial to PSG when you consider the players that. Were, that are under contract to Mendes as in terms of, you know, player agent uh, agreements. Um, just get a, a definitive list up here. Um, it, if Mendes could be getting most of his players into one place, I think that's something he's always wanted to do. It's something he's tried to do a little bit at Wolves, obviously, but they're not his top tier clientele because. Well, some of his clients wouldn't want to play for Wolves, I suppose. Um, which is, yeah, I don't think you could really uh, criticize them too much. But you know, this is this is the biggest agent in the world, uh, especially when you consider the passing of of Mino Riola. It, it's very clearly the biggest agency in the world. So you've got. Angel Di Maria, he's no longer going to be a PSG player. Trinkia is not a PSG caliber player. Pedence is not a PSG caliber player. Guedes was there. Rafael Liao, if Mbappe were to leave or move central, wouldn't Liao make a lot of sense? Ronaldo Sanchez is already there. Pedro Neto, if he could stay fit, I do think Pedro Neto could elevate himself to that level. Uh, Andre Silva, probably not quite. Diogo Jota, probably not quite. Ruben Neves, he has the talent. Ederson, 
Well, they've got Donnarumma, so they don't really need him. Zhao Cancel? I would say they've got two better fullbacks, but you never know. They might want another. Bernardo Silva? There's been some talk that PSG have interest, and that's obviously a Mendes link. And Ruben Diaz. And one of the things PSG could use is a big dominant centre-back, and maybe maybe there's a move there. Um, others include Darwin Nunes, João Felix, apparently does want to move this summer, and wouldn't a João Felix killing Mbappe front two be potentially very, very special. Giancarlo Ramos, there's been a lot of talk that what Mbappe actually wants is he wants a number nine that he can play off. Well, Ramos would be that number nine. There's a lot of good players contracted to George Mendes. And if he could start working some of them to PSG, and he's already done it with a bunch of them, like Renato Sanchez is there, and Vitinha is there, um, Daniel Pereira is there, and he's there purely because of George Mendes, not because he's good enough. But they could definitely find a way for Mourinho, Mendes, and and um, Campos to basically take over and run the full club, and probably do it very successfully. Uh, moving on, Birmingham City have been handed suspended two-point deduction after unsuccessful takeover. Birmingham City have been sus- been given a suspended two-point deduction by the English Football League for rule breaches during an unsuccessful takeover bid. The Championship Club, who announced this week that American Tom Wagner is to buy 45.6% of a stake in the club, have admitted to breaching the EFL regulations. The deduction is suspended until the end of the 2023-24 season. The Blues were charged initially following a thorough investigation back in February. You would ask the question as to why it's been suspended and why they don't, don't just levy it now, because it would make little to no difference to Birmingham Uh, they finished in 17th a two point deduction would drop them to 18th behind Huddersfield but they would stay above you know Rotherham and QPR and and Cardiff who also stayed up I don't know why you wouldn't just give them the the, the points deduction and and prove a point because there was no there was no suspended deduction for Reading, they just got their six-point deduction, and that six-point deduction took them down. With that six points back, Reading would have finished 20th, and Cardiff would have gone down. Strange. Uh, Erling Haaland has been named the Football Writers Player of the Year. Uh, Sam Kerr has been named the Football Writers Women's Player of the Year, so congrats to her. It's not any surprise that Erling Haaland has won the award. It's also not a surprise that Pikayo Saka and Martin Odegaard rounded out the top three and that no consideration was given to anyone else. Um, Because football writers are among the dumbest people in 
the football industry. Just to give you some names of people who've won the Football Writers Player of the Year. Um, 2000-2001, Teddy Sheringham was voted Football Writers Player of the Year. He was largely a squad player for Manchester United. It was, by far and away, his best season at United, but he was a squad player. Two thousand and ten eleven, Scott Parker was voted the Football Writers Player of the Year. Scott Parker. Incredible. Genuinely incredible that Scott Parker was given that award. Running around aimlessly for West Ham as they finished bottom of the league with seven wins all season, Scott Parker was voted Football Writers Player of the Year. In 2018-19, Virgil van Dijk was so far and away the best player in the league, it wasn't even funny. And yet the Football Writers gave the award to Raheem Sterling who had a very good season, but even he couldn't believe he'd been voted ahead of Van Dijk. 2019-20, Jordan Henderson wasn't one of the five best players on his own team, was voted Football Football Writers Player of the Year. 2021, Ruben Diaz wasn't a top three player at Man City, got the award. And look, the justification for Haaland obviously is the goals. The goals are outrageous. But for me, player of the year needs to be based on performance. And goals don't equal performance. You can play dreadfully and score a hat-trick. Erling Haaland has proven that on multiple occasions this season. He's also shown that when he doesn't score goals, he doesn't really offer anything. So he wouldn't have gotten the award from me. I think I think there's three or four players who've been better across the course of the season. Odegaard and Saka would be two. Bruno Gamera should be another. And Kevin De Bruyne, who, by the way, has somehow never won the Football Writers Player of the Year. He won back-to-back Players Player of the Year but has never won Football Writers Player of the Year. The football the, the Players Player of the Year is generally more accurate in terms of level of performance, other than the year they gave it to Ryan Giggs and probably the year they gave it to John Terry. John Terry wasn't even the best player on his own team that year. Ryan Giggs got it as a Lifetime Achievement Award. But my expectation is that Haaland will sweep all the awards this year. That's just what I assume will happen. But Gamerish, Odegaard and Saka have all been better than him this year in terms of all-round performance. And I think KDB maybe has a claim as well. There's probably a couple of others. Like, in terms of week-to-week-to-week performance, 
The goals are amazing. And if that's all you want from him, that's fine. Brilliant. But, you know, let's actually... I always say if you watch a game without the goals, you get a better view of the game. And if you watch Haaland play without the goals, you, you get a better view of what he is as a footballer. Um, but nothing will ever top Scott Parker and Henderson winning Football Writers Player of the Year. Two lads that had no business even been in the conversation, but media narratives because of, you know, Brexit meaning Brexit won the day. Uh, we will do the gossip and we'll take a break. And when we come back, we've got Mr. Drinkle with us and we will go through this weekend's fixtures. Manchester United fear they will fail to sign Harry Kane this summer with Spurs determined to keep the England captain, even though he will have just one year left on his contract. La Liga president Javier Tebas says the departure of Sergio Busquets from Barcelona is the beginning of the path for the Spanish club to re-sign Lionel Messi. Chelsea are set to put a move for Victor Osman on hold as they believe agreeing a deal for the striker this summer will be too difficult. Would that be because his owner, or his club's owner, I should say, said that there is no possibility and no circumstance under which he will be sold? Belgium striker Romelu Lukaku will return to Chelsea from his loan at Inter Milan and hold talks with Maurizio Pochettino. I would be interested to see what Pochettino could get out of Lukaku. I really would. Chelsea will request 30 to 40 million for Mateo Kovacic with Manchester City interested in the 29-year-old. Pochettino wants to restart talks with Mason Mount over a new contract. Aston Villa are in talks to sign Manuel Ugarte. The 22-year-old has also been linked with Chelsea and Liverpool. That is from an absolute spoofer. So we're just going to laugh and move along. Ugarte's agent says there are a number of play- number of clubs interested in the player who he expects to leave sporting this summer. Manchester United are getting ready to make a move for Jordan Pickford if David De Gea leaves the club. David De Gea has agreed a new contract. Why would he leave the club? United are interested in 20-year-old Anderlecht and Netherlands goalkeeper Bart Verbruggen with De Gea's number one status at the Old Trafford Club in doubt. He is uh, an outstanding young defender. Newcastle, Manchester United and Liverpool scouts have been watching Nice's French centre-back Jean-Claire Tadibo. Uh, <clears throat> my understanding is that Liverpool were there to watch um, Kevin Turam, not Tadibo. Argentina goalkeeper Emiliano Martinez is set to leave Aston Villa this summer with Chelsea, Tottenham and Manchester United all interested. All of them would make sense for him in terms of stepping up his career. He wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense for United. He would make much more sense for Chelsea and Tottenham than he would for United. Stylistically speaking, he just doesn't make sense for what Ten Hag allegedly wants to do. Aston Villa want to bring in Marco Asensio on a free transfer when his contract runs out in the summer. Interesting. Giuseppe Morata, the chief executive into Milan, says he thinks Simone Inzaghi will stay at the club this summer and that Andre Onana wants to stay with them as well. Onana would be the ideal goalkeeper for United stylistically, 
But there was a falling out between him and Ten Hag, so who knows? Newcastle will face competition from PSG for Bayer Leverkusen winger Moussa Diaby. Um, he's former PSG, so he may well want to go back there. Arsenal are also looking at Diaby for a potential move this summer. Bayern Munich would like to keep hold of Joao Cancelo, while Arsenal and Barcelona are also interested. Okay. Brentford want forty million for in-demand goalkeeper David Rea. I wouldn't pay anything close to forty million for him, but like he's a good goalkeeper. He's solid. He's decent with his feet. I just wouldn't pay that for him. Thirty, fair enough. Not forty. Everton have a strong interest in Mohamed Salisu this summer. When they when Southampton bought him, and for like the first kind of eighteen months he was there, I was quite impressed by how he went about things and then just the last while he fell off a cliff performance wise and frankly what you hear about the fact that he doesn't actually want to play because he doesn't want to play for a team that's going to get relegated that's a bit disappointing it, that might not be true but that is the the word on the street shall we say uh, Nottingham Forest will refuse offers for Brennan Johnson if they stay up this season makes sense absolutely makes sense Norwich are set to sign Ashley Barnes when his contract with Burnley expires this summer. Not sure why Norwich would do that. Um, Chelsea's English defender Dujon Sterling is expected to move to Rangers on a free transfer in the coming weeks. I don't know that that's the best career move for him. Uh, He is a right back and Rangers do have a right back who is quite important in their team in James Tavernier, who, you know, is their captain and one of their main sources of goals. Uh, 17 goals this season marks four of the last five in which he has scored 15 goals or more in all competitions. Three of the last five in which he's hit 12 or more. So I I don't know that going there to be a backup is the right move for Dijon Sterling. But it's not my concern. I will take a break. When we come back, we will have Guy Drinkle and we will run through all 10 of this weekend's matches. So see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So... We have 10 games in this weekend's Premier League, which is nice. And we welcome in Mr. Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? You have sent the rain to me. Good, good. Well, that's an improvement on the ice that you would normally have there in the frozen north. Um, Uh And hopefully that ice won't affect Middlesbrough's performance in their championship playoff fixture this weekend. Away legs first. It's in Coventry. Oh, so. that's okay. That's okay. Sunny Coventry. Sunny Coventry on Sunday and then the Frozen North on Wednesday. Uh, however, there is a game in the Frozen North tomorrow, which is Sunderland versus Luton. Um, so, you know, that one should be pretty interesting. We've also got League One and League Two playoffs, but I went through them yesterday, so people should be aware of what they are. Uh, Guy, what have we got this weekend then? We have a huge weekend of Premier League action and 
I think it's fair to say the relegation battle is probably the most interesting thing left now. Um, and that starts with the first game at half 12, which is Leeds against Newcastle, Dave. And you know what the most powerful force in football is. It's narrative. It's not tactics. It's not quality of players. It's a narrative. And is there a bigger narrative than Sam, Sam Allardyce against the team where his career kind of went a bit tits up? I don't think there is. So Leeds are winning this 5-0, Dave. That is a good point. Sam Allardyce at Bolton was very, very highly thought of and at the time was still a young manager. And then he went to Newcastle and his career definitely took a turn for the worst. Now, when he went to the tune, he was, I believe, 53, but, you know, had only really been in the public conscience for his time at Bolton. People weren't all that aware of what he was doing at Blackburn and at Notts County because that was the days before social media, before 24-hour coverage of everything. It was at Bolton that he became known. He went to Newcastle. It obviously didn't go at all well for him. Um, He lasted only 24 games, was sacked in the January, and... He likely has held a grudge as Big Sam is, is wont to do. Now, it's very clear that Newcastle should win this game. They're comfortably the better team. But they did lose to Arsenal. and They have lost two of the last five. They got comprehensively outplayed by Villa. They were unfortunate against Arsenal in the fact that they did hit the post twice. And Aaron Ramsdale made a, a good save from Fabian Scher, but Scher should have scored. So despite the fact that Arsenal were the better team, Newcastle could easily have gotten something out of that game. Their magic number is seven. Seven points guarantees them top four for next year. Now, six will probably do it for them, given their goal difference, but seven guarantees it. And this would be a big three points to help them get there. This would probably close the door on Liverpool catching Newcastle because you'd expect them then to take four points from their last three games. But there will be pressure on them. It's an early kickoff and, you know, that can always be a little bit strange. Leeds are desperate for the win. No wins in their last five. Second from bottom. At risk of getting, you know, cut put free by the other three clubs that are battling to stay in the division. We're going to write Southampton off. So Leicester, Everton and Forest, if they were to all pick up points this weekend, it would cut Leeds adrift a little bit. Big Sam's first home game. It's a tough three-game run. Toon, West Ham, Spurs. But I think Sam will be looking at these two home games as the games to get points in. Spurs are unpredictable. Newcastle, maybe the pressure of trying to secure that top four finish gets to them. Going into the game, Leeds have a lot less injuries than normal. Uh, No Liam Cooper. Sinister is out for the season. Tyler Adams, I'm guessing he's out for the season. And Stuart Dallas hasn't played all season after that horrific leg break he suffered last year. Newcastle on the other side have a a few injuries and a few important absentees. So no Lachelles, that's fine. No Kraft, that's fine. No Frazier, that's fine. No Ritchie, that's fine. 
But Sean Longstaff, uh, Sean Longstaff is out and probably done for the season. And that's a blow because he's been an important rotation midfielder for them. And with Jolington also out, that's potentially a big blow for them. Not having either. I think Jolington is suspended, isn't he? Or am I wrong? Was he suspended last weekend or was he suspended this weekend? Premier injuries just says ankle injury, but they may be wrong. Yeah. We'll see. I think he's out, but maybe he plays... And if he does, then that solves the issue of Longstaff, Longstaff not being there because they can just go Jolington and Willock. If Longstaff is out, you'd wonder who plays in midfield with Gamerish and Willock. Um, I'm going to go for a draw. I'm going to go for a draw. So I just think Sam will... We saw Arsenal set a bit of a blueprint for how to frustrate Newcastle, which is to play them at their own game and disrupt the game and slow it down and have a lot of stoppages. And it was quite hilarious to hear Eddie Howe complaining about that, given Newcastle has been the worst in the league for that type of thing this season. They've had the lowest amount of ball in play on average for their games. And Big Sam is sort of the inventor of that. That's awful. Yeah. Big Sam is the, is the, like, Big Sam is the original Premier League shithouse manager. Like before Tony Pulis, there was Big Sam. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if he reaches into the the bag of tricks and starts pulling out mental things to slow this game down. So, so, so I'm going to say... 15 minutes of each half. <laughs> pretty much. I would be surprised if the ball is in play for more than 40 minutes in this game. I'd be stunned if it is. I'm going to say this ends 1-1. Yeah, I think it'll be a bit of a scrappy game anyway. Um, next up, we go into the three o'clock kickoffs. We have Villa against Spurs in a battle to avoid the Conference League. I think no Villa to Conference League. Probably a battle for the Europa League spot on the Conference League spot. Um, yeah, Dave, I think we mentioned it a couple, maybe last week, that Villa kind of ring out of steam. And... Yeah, I think you kind of see that with with the injuries and people missing and stuff like that. If it's anything beyond their first 11 or maybe first 12 or 13, it just doesn't really work. But at the same time, Spurs are the weirdest team in existence. Um, Who the hell knows how they'll play? I think this could be a mad game. This could be an awful game. It's almost impossible to predict this one, I think. It is. This is a home team that have been really good since this manager took over, but aren't as good as they've been because they were utterly dreadful under the old manager. And not all of that can be on him. So if Villa come back to earth a little bit, they're probably about a mid-table team. They looked a mid-table team in each of their last two games. They, They looked like a team that was leggy and running out of steam. They looked like a team lacking some quality. But Spurs, you just don't know what you're going to get from them. Now, there's no Larice, no Cessnion, no um, Bentoncourt, but Longley could be okay, but he's garbage anyway. But Basuma is back, which is at least something of a plus. Uh, for Villa, no Jed Steer, but Matty Cash looks like he's back. So that could re-energize them, just getting Matty Cash back in. Bubakar Kamara is back. So, you know, those type of things could help. They could help some of the the ailing legs in the team. Uh, This game is at Villa Park. 
So I'm going to go for a Villa win. I'll go 2-1 to Villa because I think they will beat Spurs at home. And you're right. Like Villa will absolutely take Europa Conference League and be thrilled. But you know what? Spurs should take Europa Conference League and be thrilled because maybe they might win something if they play in that competition. Didn't we say that last time and they got knocked out for COVID reasons? <laughs> yes, they couldn't fulfill <laughs> Was it Red or something like that? One of their fixtures and they ended up getting kicked out. But I do think Conte was thrilled by that. Very true. They did get top four in the end, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that was their whole aim. They're not going to get top four next season. No, no, no. I don't believe. Because new manager coming in, they need to rebuild the goalkeeper and defence. You've got to settle a proper midfield and you're probably going to have to replace Harry Kane. Mm. And there are no questions over Kulisevsky's future because he might not have hit the triggers in the deal to make his loan an obligation to buy. So he might go back on, go back to um, Juventus. So I they feel like that would be stupid. There. If Spurs let him go, that would be one of the dumber things they've done in recent years, but they are a dumb club. They sacked Antonio Conte when they were fourth in the league. They sacked Jose Mourinho on the eve of a cup final. This is a dumb club. Very true. I feel like Kulisewski under an attacking manager would be bang potential. Um, but anyway, uh, moving on, Chelsea against Forest. I mean, Chelsea won last week, but I feel like Frank avoiding the losing streak is all they had left to play for this season. <laughs> um Forest, we know, are awful away from home, but at the same time, Chelsea are just awful, and it goes week by week if the players can be bothered or if they had any sort of football coaching that week, which is probably the answer to that is no. Um, But I feel like this is a good opportunity for Forest to at least get a point, and 34 points, maybe not quite enough to guarantee, but if you got 34 points and went down, I feel like you'd be unlucky. Yeah, but their goal difference is what counts against them because Everton, Leicester and Leeds all have quite a superior goal difference. So I think 34 for Everton would be enough. Yes. But I think Forrest might need 35. Now, they do have that game away to Palace on the final day, which potentially could be a point for them as well. Maybe even three, depending on whether Palace get out of bed that day. But I wouldn't be surprised by a draw this weekend. Now... Deep breath, and we'll go through the forest injuries. Bianconi out for the season, Henderson out for the season, Wood out for the season, Richards out for the season, McKenna out for the season, Nico Williams out for the season, and Emmanuel Dennis out for the season. Renan Lodi should be okay. Gustavo Scarpa should be okay. Jack Callback and John Joe Shelby are major doubts, and Serge Aurier will have a late fitness test. So that's a lot for Chelsea. No Broya, no Koulibaly, no Mount, no Kukurea. Big doubt over Fafana. No Reese James, no Batnelli, And no Ben Chilwell. So potentially no left-back available. Which might mean they have to go Aspilicueta left-back and Chalaba right-back with Silva and Badiashile as the centre-backs. Which obviously was that isn't... young lad who played left-back? Hall? Lewis was Hall. Played, was he a yeah, left-back or was he a midfielder playing at wing-back? He's a midfielder who played, I think, both wing-back and full-back for them, but did well. Yeah, did yeah. well. So maybe he's an option, but Frank, at this point, I think, is is more likely to go with experience than with a youngster. Mm. Um, Working well. Yeah, I mean, it's all going swimming <laughs> for Frank. 
Um, he did get his win. He's got three games left. and th- th- Sorry, he's got four games left. And these four games really are an audition for Frank for the future. Because, you know, if, if you manage 11 games and lose 10 of them, say, or lose nine of them, win one and draw one, I don't think anyone's going to be rushing to hire you. Um, and after this game, remember, they go to City, then they go to United, and then they face Newcastle at home. Okay, yeah. So that's a really tough run-in for Chelsea. It hasn't The, the schedule hasn't been... You had one job, to... Bournemouth. Don't yeah, I mean, say. Bournemouth could have, could have given us the, the beautiful 11-game losing streak that we were all hoping for. I wouldn't be surprised if Forrest got something here, but I'm going to go for a Chelsea win. I'll say 2-1 to Chelsea. Yeah, I've probably potential to be funny, but anyway. Uh, next up, we have kind of a pointless game at this stage. is Palace against Bournemouth. Um, I don't even know what to say. I mean, Palace did their job after a few weeks after Roy came in and Bournemouth mm. went on that mad run. Um, it may just turn into a ball fest or it may just turn into a bit of fun. Who knows? I, I think it'll actually be a bit of fun. They, neither of them have anything to fear. There's nothing to lose. They can both just go out and play and, and enjoy themselves. Uh, no Hamid Traore, no Marcus Tavernier, no Kiefer Moore, no Ryan Fredericks, and no Junior Stanislas for Bournemouth. No James McArthur, no Nathan Ferguson, and no James Tompkins for Palace. I think this might actually be a fun game. I'm going to go 3-2 to Palace. Yeah, yeah, I think that. I think it could be two. It's two fun teams, as we had said that about a Roy Hodgson team. Yeah. Um, next up, we have United against Wolves. Um, obviously, United's home form and away form are two very different things. But at the same time, United's defence, and I know you... I don't think you dislike Lissandro Martinez, just the fact that everyone raves about him. Without him and Varane, Shaw's been good, but he's still Luke Shaw at centre-back. Mm. And there's always the potential of a wild Harry Maguire appearing. Um, and Lindelof is meh. Who gives a toss about Lindelof at this stage? So there is vulnerabilities there. It's just whether Wolves are the team to take advantage of that. I mean, Cunha's done little bits and bobs. Mm. Diego Costa looks like a professional athlete for the first time in a few years. There's, there's the glorious possibility of Diego Costa versus Harry Maguire in a who can move the slowest competition. Oh, yes. Here, which could be great fun. Um, look, if if you put Lissandro Martinez in a back three, I think he could be a very good centre-back. But the this idea that he's been tremendous in a centre-back role in the back four this season just doesn't match up with the reality of what's actually taking place. He is overly rash. He's overly aggressive. He's been allowed away with some very questionable fouls this season. And he is an abomination in the air because he's five foot eight or five foot nine. Varane is the bigger miss because he was taking care of a lot of the other stuff and the mm-hmm. sweeping and whatever. So Varane being out is is a huge blow. No Martinez, no Van Der Beek, no McTominay, no Varane, no Heaton, no Phil Jones, and obviously no Mason Greenwood. Wolves, their injury problems are 
nearly behind them. Sasa Kalasic won't play this season. We've known that all year. Uh, Chiquinho is out for the season. And Bubakar Traore, they're just kind of managing his fitness a little bit. United are much better at home than away, like you said. And that's why I think they'll win this game. So I will go with a... I'll go with a 1-0 United win because they are struggling to score goals regardless of whether it's home or away. I'll mm-hmm. go 1-0 to United. I just I just don't fancy Wolves to, to, to go there and do anything, to be quite honest with you. So I'll go with a, a 1-0 United win. Yeah, it's strange with United. If it's Rashford's... It's probably a bit longer than a purple patch because it was like a third of the season, maybe a bit longer than a third of a season. But he is a patchy player, isn't he? Um, and always yes. has been, really. Um, you so know what's funny, of- actually? So I was looking at this um, yesterday. The monthly awards for the Premier League this season. Mm. So Erling Haaland won Player of the Month in August and in April. Mikhail Saka won it in March. Odegaard won it in November, December, because there was only one award given because, obviously, the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And Almiron won it in October. Marcus Rashford has won it three times. September, January, and February. That's daft. That's ridiculous. Mikel Arteta has won Manager of the Month four times. Eric Ten Hag has won it twice. Eddie Howe has won it and Unai Emery has won it. Pep Guardiola hasn't won it at all. It's just bizarre to me that this is how these votes have gone. Like, Eric Ten Hag, twice manager of the month. That's laughable. Marcus Rashford, three-time player of the month. Laughable. Laughable. There has not been a single month this season in which Marcus Rashford has been the best player in the league. Regardless Are they not of, done by public votes now? They must be. They must be done by public vote. Uh, they used to be done by a committee. Now they must be done by public vote. Because they're utterly ridiculous. Mm. Anyway, it's not not overly important, but you are right. Marcus Rashford's a very streaky player, and right now he's in a bit of a cold streak, and so is Bruno Fernandez. Now Bruno has generally been more consistent and reliable for United and for Sporting before that than Rashford has been, but having to carry Cristiano for fifteen months definitely did did hamper him. And I just think he's also struggling a little bit with the amount of work he's been asked to get through because United are not playing. Like, If there's two players they can't rotate, it's probably them two. Yeah, that's the thing. Those two have to play. And, you know, when you look at the other players in that front six, Casemiro obviously does loads of defensive work. Christian Eriksen doesn't. Rashford Mm. doesn't. Anthony doesn't. Like, he, he'll track a runner from time to time. Veghorst can barely move. And when Martial plays, he doesn't do any defensive work either. So Bruno's been asked to dig out Casemiro quite a lot and help help going backwards, mm-hmm. which hampers what he's able to put in going forward. So, look, they've got a lot of work to do, but I think they'll win this game. They need nine points from their last four games. That's their magic number. They need They need nine points. Assuming Liverpool win out, United need nine and I think they'll get three this weekend. If you do beat them, though, Wolves, I'll love you forever. So fair enough. Uh, next up, Dave, we have Southampton against Fulham. I mean, 
if Southampton picked up a few more points, this would probably be meaningful. But um, barring miracle of all football narrative natures, Southampton are down. And Fulham and Taz on, on the beach has maybe first fought because they've just decided let's just have some mad games to end the season by the looks of it. Yeah, I mean, last weekend was was absolutely mental. Um, it was a lot of fun. Southampton just, they've been let down by the senior players. It'll, the blame will be put on the young players and the recruitment policy, but it's the senior players that have hurt them. Uh, no and parole. the lads who hire managers. <laughs> yes, yeah, well, yeah, the Nathan <laughs> Jones decision, the Ruben Salas decision, they're, they're catastrophic, absolutely catastrophic decisions. Um, no Perot, no Salisu, Livermento probably not ready just yet, no Larios out for the season, and Bella Koch very likely to be out as well. Uh, for Fulham, uh, Mitrovic is back, so he is going to be raring to go. Kurzawa is out, Dan James is out, Tim Ream and Andreas Pereira are done for the season. Um, Southampton need a win to keep themselves alive. They need they need a win and they need Everton to not pick up any points to, to stay alive, just to continue to have even the slightest chance of staying up. And I don't think they get it. I think this is a draw. I'll go 2-2, and I think Southampton are confirmed as relegated this weekend. It's a real shame, because I think that team's more than good enough to stay up, to be fair. Um, but anyway... That's for that's probably summer podcast to do. Uh, moving on to Sunday, Brentford against West Ham. Dave, obviously West Ham have the European stuff to worry about. Um, getting the second leg the next week, I don't yeah. care enough. Um, whereas Brentford, can Brentford still get Europe? Not really. No, they're not really. But they could have. They would. They're five happen. points outside the European spots right now, with three games left, and Brighton, who are in the final European spot as we speak. Have two games in hand, so it's very, very unlikely. So just be the best team in um, in uh, West London, then. Yeah, basically. that's that's basically what it comes down to. I mean, they're eight points clear of Chelsea, but Chelsea have four games left. So Chelsea's max is fifty four for the season, um, whereas Brighton or Brentford's is fifty nine. Chelsea aren't going to win all the games anyway, obviously. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, just Fulham. Fulham, basically. Yeah, they just have to outdo Fulham. They have a two-point advantage on Fulham, so that's who they need to finish above to be the top team in West London. And, and look, it, it sounds funny to say, but it would be a huge achievement for Brent uh, for Brentford on the budget that they operate on, which is mm-hmm. obviously much, much smaller than Chelsea, but also smaller than Fulham. Yeah. Like, Fulham have a richer owner, and he pumps a lot of money into the club, and it would be a great achievement for Brentford to finish above Fulham. But look, it's a great achievement for Fulham to be top half as well. Yeah, it really is. It's a good, it's a, well, it's a perfect season for both, to be fair. Maybe mm. slightly disappointed they didn't keep in the Europe, um, European race a smidge longer, but they kind of came out of nowhere. And above that, it's probably the teams you'd expect there, apart from Brighton, but they just went on a madness. Um, but yeah, what, what, what do you make of this game, uh, Brentford West Ham? I think West Ham have to rotate heavily because they looked leggy last night and they can't afford to go into the second leg against Alkmaar at anything less than 100%. No Skimaka and no Sufal. I think there needs to be no Rice, no Suchek, no Agard, 
no Bowen for this one as well. I think they need to rest them all. They, look, you're you're basically safe. You are safe. You've got 37 yeah, points. Absolutely. You're not getting caught. Rest everybody if you can. Rest as many as you can and just get through this game. Does The result is irrelevant. The second leg is your biggest game of the season. You've got to go and win that. Or you, a draw will do, obviously, but you've got to go and get the result there. So focus needs to be on that. And for that reason, I'm going to pick Brentford to win. They don't have a full squad either. They're missing Janssen, Potter, Lewis Potter, Norgard and Strakosha. Janssen and Norgard obviously are starters. Um, but I think they'll still have enough to beat uh, to beat West Ham. So I'll go 2-0 to Brentford. Yeah, I think Brentford probably want to try and get Damsgaard and maybe on Yekka and stuff like that some more minutes as well, to be fair. Um, but anywho, um, next up, Everton against Man City, Dave. Now, logically, Man City just win this. But Everton do seem to always give Man City a tough game. Obviously, we had the Rodri handball moment last season. I think they still drew that game, if I remember correctly. Um, other than that, I think Everton have beat them a few times. Um but this seems to be a very different Man City where they're in title mode, where they just go, well, we want to win something, and then they do. But at the same time, they have a second leg against Real Madrid to worry about. Yeah, that second leg does complicate things, but the good thing for City is they only have one injury at the moment, and it's Nathan Aki. Now, it is a big loss because he's been great for them this season, but I I still think they can rotate a few players and, and win this game. Everton have no Coleman, no Vinagra, no Godfrey and no Andros Townsend. They're coming off that incredible win over Brighton. And I think they will give City a tough time. I think they'll be physical. They'll be aggressive. They'll look to play very similar to how they played against Brighton and hit them on the counter and use the long ball over the top mm-hmm. to run onto. But I think I just think City's quality will tell in this game. And obviously... Haaland didn't score against Real Madrid, which means... And he didn't score against Leeds last weekend either. Somehow. (laughs) So he's due to score. Yeah. So Haaland is going to score, and he's probably going to score two. I'll go 3-1 to City. Yeah, plus the Sean Dyche PTSD against City. All them them 5-0 losses uh, probably don't help. That's the thing. Like, Dyche has played City with... Less talented, but probably overall better functioning teams mm-hmm. than this Everton team, and he's been spanked repeatedly five 0 So yeah, yeah, we'll go three one to City. Just on Everton, I mean, obviously you mentioned Calvert Lewin there. Um, would Everton just be mid table if he wasn't made out of Pringles? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Calvert Lewin's a really good player. I mean, he's he's got everything you want in a target man number nine. He's big, he's good in the air, he's strong, he's got good touch. He can lay the ball off and get moving quickly. He's a good finisher. He's really aggressive at attacking balls into the box. Like you swing a ball into the air or in behind that defense and he will give everything to get on the end of it. And... You know, he showed in 1920 with 13 goals in 36 games and the following season with 16 and 33, what he was capable of. But the last two seasons, he's just been racked with injuries and he scored seven goals in 32 games across two seasons. Mm. Only 15 appearances in the league this season, only the two goals. It's disappointing. 
He's also had struggles, not just with physical issues, but with mental health problems. And I think that's slowed him a little bit. But I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin is very, very good. And, and I think uh, I think if he was fit all the time, Everton would be um, a significantly better team. And the thing is, they bought Morpain. You think if Morpain and Calvert-Lewin would have probably worked really well together. <clears throat> As a two, yeah. Yeah. Not not under Lampard, obviously, but <laughs> no, no, but nothing was going to work under Frank. Yeah, absolutely. But no, if he stays fit or they get a good backup, I think they'll be fine next season because they should stay up now. Let's be honest. Uh, moving on to probably what will be the most high quality game of the weekend. Let's go with Arsenal against Brighton. They've obviously had some mad games in the past. Um, Arsenal obviously kind of let this t- uh, title slip through their fingers and most people thought Newcastle would be the final nail in the coffin but Dave they resurrected and passed that test obviously this is probably the next uh, the next one um if they can do this and if Everton do do weird things against City I mean it could swing somewhat of the balance back but Arsenal do need to beat Brighton which is a tough Tough gig, and obviously they need to bounce back after that weird game against Everton. Um, mm. But at the same time, Arsenal, if they just played Kiwar, who is left-footed, and this is going to hurt me, if they just played him over Rob Holding, do you think they'd maybe still be first? Um, no, because I think to blame Rob Holding for what happened against Southampton, Liverpool and West Ham would be to excuse the poor performances from his teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's easy to look at him and say, oh, well, he's the difference. They don't have Saliba, they've got him. But Gabriel was dreadful in those games. Mm-hmm. Zinchenko was poor in those games. Ramsdale was awful in all bar the That's Liverpool right. game, mm-hmm. uh, especially the Southampton mm-hmm. game and the West Ham game. Um, Thomas Partey didn't play well. Xhaka didn't play well. Martinelli didn't play well. Like a lot of other players didn't play well. And I just like the thing is, you throw Keywar into those games and that they're high intensity. And would he have been okay? Maybe not. Like, it's one thing to come in. He did play in midfield in one of them as well, if I remember correctly. I, I think he could be right on that. But yeah. like, he came in against Chelsea. Chelsea were dreadful. Dreadful. The easiest possible start. But if you look at that first 15 minutes against Newcastle, he was absolutely all over the place. True. He had no clue what was going on. And Newcastle hit the post won a penalty, and the penalty was overturned. If that penalty is not overturned and that shot that hits the post goes in, and they're 2-0 up all of a sudden, it's a very different look for him than the comfortable sort of performance he was able to have after that, where Arsenal got the goal and it kind of hurt Newcastle. Um, I assume he will start. They're missing Zinchenko for the rest of the season, Saliba for the rest of the season, Tomiyasu for the rest of the season and El Elneny for the rest of the season. Brighton have no Lalana, no Veltman, no Motor, no Sarmiento, no Mwepu, obviously retired, no Tyreek Lamptey. And Solly March is injured and probably done for the season. So I, I think Brighton will want to bounce back. I think we're, we're going to see a reaction from them um, compared to what we saw last weekend. I wouldn't be at all surprised with the draw. I'm going to go with a 2-2 draw. I think this will be a fun game. But I do think Brighton are going to be able to hurt that Arsenal back four with movement. Evan Ferguson has to start. And I think Inciso has to start as well. 
Yeah, Danny Welbeck is just season. yeah. Danny Welbeck is just he's just not good enough at the Premier League level anymore. What on that? He got dragged off at half time as well, didn't he? If I remember. Yeah, correctly. and I thought that was a little bit harsh because he wasn't the worst of that front four by any stretch. Um, Matoma's dropped off a bit. Matoma was awful, and the first goal was Matoma's fault. Might mm. a quick flick round the corner, wasn't paying attention to where. Everton's players are and Everton went up the field and scored but Tomo was terrible in that game and hasn't really been great since the cup semi-final yeah, I was going to say and Cecil's probably been the best the best yeah. attacker off the top of my head this probably third of the season maybe yeah. third quarter maybe but yeah anyway. I think that's fair I think I think Evan Ferguson probably was for the quarter before that before he got hurt so yes but but maybe Matoma's due for a big game so um it'll be tough for Arsenal like, look, the fact is, Arsenal could win this game. City could lose at Everton, and Arsenal would go two points clear, and they'd have two games left. But City would still have three games left. You know, so it's it's very hard to see how City wouldn't win the league from here, because after this, they get Chelsea at home. They'll win that. Mm-hmm. You'd expect them to go and beat Brighton, and I think they'll beat Brentford as well. Now, Brentford caused them trouble a lot, but I, I still think, I still think this site, this title is is City's unless they have an absolute catastrophic meltdown. And I don't expect that to happen. I think they beat Everton. I think they beat Chelsea, and that will put City on 88 points. I think Arsenal will draw this game. And then next up, they have Forrest, and I expect them to win that game. And that will put Arsenal on 85 points, meaning that Arsenal can't win the league going into the last game, their last game, because City are plus 14 better off. Mm-hmm. And it's just you're not going to beat a Premier League team fourteen nil. It, it's just not going to happen. So regardless of what happens to Arsenal against Wolves, City would would win the league. So yeah, I, I'm going with City to to get things wrapped up in the next couple of games. Um, I, I think this weekend we see the gap extend to what would be a, a three point lead. Yeah, and it 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 would be interesting if Everton even got a draw and if. Arsenal could deal with the pressure of then making See, that's, up with that's the win. the thing. That's the thing. It, it would actually be more interesting. It would be. It would be because if if City win, the pressure goes off Arsenal. If mm. City don't win, the pressure launches onto Arsenal in a massive way. <coughs> and as predicted, they didn't respond well to the pressure this season. Once we even got in Liverpool, eight- Liverpool didn't deal well with that pressure. Well, no. Even the last game of last season, Villa were tonking them and we couldn't win till uh, Man City were already back in their game. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and that was a Liverpool team with Premier League winning experience who'd finished second as well. This is Arsenal's first go at this. So yeah, I don't um I, I just don't think they've handled the pressure. When, once we got into April, they just they crumbled. That's what that's what I said they would do. I said once we get into April and they have that more difficult run. They'd had a very favourable fixture list early. Their end of season is much tougher. And it just, it turned out to be that. They just couldn't cope with the pressure of it. So, look, good result over Newcastle. But the pressure was off them going into that game. Mm. Um, I, I think Brighton will get something here. I think we'll see a reaction from Brighton after what happened to them on Monday. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, last game then on the Monday, we have Leicester against Liverpool, Dave. Um, I'm sure you've seen the thing go around about, I think it's the last 15 games, that Liverpool are the second form team in the country, which 
confuses me and scares me um, because our performances haven't really been of that level, but that mm. may say more about the league rather than Liverpool. Um, whereas Leicester just stink. <laughs> Leicester um, are dreadful. They are, yeah. they are dreadful. And this weekend they're missing Justin, Ianacho, Vestergaard and Bertrand. Liverpool are missing Firmino, Alcantara, Ramsey, uh, Keita and Besetich. Um the last 15 games thing is is a little bit interesting. Because uh, when you look at it, Liverpool haven't been great across the last 15 games. They've obviously won their last six in a row. But the last 15 league games, Liverpool includes some fairly dreadful results. You know, you've got the six wins. Before that, the draw with Arsenal. But you've got that horrible draw away to Chelsea. They got walloped by City. They got beaten by Bournemouth. Like, that brings you to 10. Now, prior to that, they did win four or five with a draw against Crystal Palace. But, you know, to to focus on that is is one thing. But then you're ignoring all that took place before that. You know, the walloping by Wolves, the walloping by Brighton, the walloping by Brentford. I, I don't put any any faith into, you know, those type of things where you're just leaving out a significant chunk of time. And the last early in the games. Champions League we should add as well. So we've had yeah, exactly. runs of stuff. <clears throat> went out of the FA Cup early, went out of the League Cup early. You know, like it's it's one thing to say, oh, Liverpool last 15 games. Great. What about the previous eight games? where they lost three in the league with only two wins and one draw, lost in the League Cup and lost in the um, in the FA Cup. You know, like, what about those games? I saw, I, I just I just look at it and think Liverpool have been crap this season. They don't actually deserve top four. But because the league is pretty terrible, they are in with a shout. And I do think they're going to win this game. I really do think they're going to win this game. Uh, my expectation is that they turn up and Leicester kind of turn into Capello's Milan or Saki's mm-hmm. Milan. But I still think Liverpool will have enough. So I've got Liverpool to win this 2-0. I'm going mm. one from Salah mm. and one from Darwin Nunes off the bench. So not I think, with, I think not Liverpool, can score, this time. <laughs> Liverpool can score early. Then it'll be kind of a war of attrition, a really dull game. Then Leicester will have to open up and come and attack for the last twenty minutes. And I think Liverpool will will catch them on the uh, on the counter. But you mentioned Wood Faze there, obviously a strong contender for Liverpool's Player of the Season after mm-hmm. his match winning performance at Anfield. So Probably any assistance, yeah. any assistance you'd like to throw our way in this one would be tremendous. It would be well appreciated if you could, you know, gift us a couple of early goals and then convince your teammates to just, you know, give up and not bother so we could just get through this one. Be very, very appreciative of it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Leicester will, will lose this game. So I'll go 2 0 to Liverpool. And if Liverpool do win 2 0, they will move to within one point of Newcastle, who I have drawing. Now, obviously, that depends on what happens with Newcastle. Newcastle would have a game in hand, but it would set things up very interestingly because there'll be a point behind both United and Newcastle 
those teams would have a game in hand, but we'd see how they'd really handle the pressure then in their last three. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be uh, really interesting. Um, but that was the last game. And that's the last podcast of the week. So we will see you all on Monday. Take care of yourselves. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.